Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, we're going to talk about the home today. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the quiver, excuse me, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. A dietician was addressing a large audience in Chicago. And she said, and I quote, the material we put in our stomachs is enough to have killed most of us sitting here years ago. Red meat is awful. Soft drinks erode your stomach lining. Chinese food is loaded with MSG. Vegetables can be disastrous. And none of us realizes the long-term harm caused by the germs in our drinking water. But there's one thing that is the most dangerous of all, And we all have or will eat it. Can anyone here tell me what food it is that causes the most grief and suffering for years after eating it? A 75-year-old man on the front row stood up and said, wedding cake. You know, there's a word that is used today to describe a family that is broken and shattered. It's the word dysfunctional. But the problem with that word is that it makes you assume that there are functional families. When in reality, there's only been one functional family in the history of mankind, and that was Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. And after they sinned, It's been downhill ever since. You may have started something and realized that you had started incorrectly, and in order to make it right, you had to start over. In cooking, for example, if you don't have the right base ingredients, you have to start over. If On a journey, if you go in the wrong direction, you miss your destination. In building a house, if you don't build it properly, your house will not stand. It's interesting that this psalm was written by Solomon, Solomon asked God for wisdom, and he granted it. And Solomon started off well serving the Lord, but then he disobeyed God and took a lot of foreign wives. And by the end of his life, in 1 Kings chapter 11, you find that his kingdom is in ruins and that his marriages became a disastrous denial of God in 1 Kings chapter 11. It's because Solomon ignored his own words the words that he'd been given by God's inspiration, he stopped depending upon God. He tried everything that the world had to have, had to offer, and he stopped depending upon God. A little girl was sitting on a pile of luggage, 
at, in a hotel lobby while her parents were registering for a room. And a lady noticed her sitting there, and she said, are you uh, are all here visiting relatives? And she said, no, we're going to live in this hotel until we find a house. Because my dad got a new job, we had to sell our house, and we moved here, and now we're looking. And she said, well, oh, I'm so sorry. That's too bad that you don't have a home. And the little girl said, we do have a home. We just haven't found a house to put it in yet. Well, I want to tell you that a lot of people have a house, but don't have a home. And so for a few moments, I want us to look at some truths I think you can glean right here out of Psalm 127 about constructing a godly home, and it begins with the structure. God gives the stability. God is the architect of the family. God is the architect of the home. He's the one that created it. It wasn't man's idea. It was God's will that we have man and woman, a home. Now, in a home, you need a foundation, you need the walls, you need the structure, you need the, the roof. And Jesus himself even talked about, spiritually speaking, of a home in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. That's in Luke chapter 6, verse 47 and following. Building a godly home begins with God as the foundation. In fact, verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Spiritual harmony in the home begins when you have believers. That's why you do know that the Lord told us not to be unequally yoked with a non-believer. Now, some of you married a non-believer, and that doesn't give you the right to leave them now. But those of you who still may be in the dating period of your life, you need to find another believer. You need to find somebody else who's headed in the right direction because the foundation in your home will be the Lord himself. The scripture says, unless the Lord is there, it's in vain. It's not going to stand very well. It's going to have all kinds of issues. Christian homes, of a home where faith is practiced, is set apart from the rest of the world. To have a dad and a mom or a husband and a wife that love the Lord it's becoming more and more rare today. It's becoming something that's hard to find. And you might say, well, tell me how God's going to build the family. Well, I wish I could say that God would wave his arm over you and your mate, and you would be instantly transformed into Ward and June Cleaver. <laughs> now, for you folks that aren't old enough to know who Ward and June Cleaver are, look up Leave it to Beaver. And then maybe God would wave his hand over everyone and all your children would turn into the Brady kids. You don't know who that is? Look up the Brady bunch. Y'all have missed so much in your life. But God, God's not going to say, you know what, I'm going to instantly transform you. He's going to say, I will regenerate your heart. I will give you a new life. And I've given you a manual. I've given you a manual for family life. 
Husbands, you're supposed to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You're supposed to lead your family in a godly way. You're going to be held accountable for how you lead your family. It's a stewardship. That's what head of the home means, by the way. And ladies, you're, you're to follow your husband's leadership. You're to respect your husband. And listen, let's just get this out of the way. In the eyes of God, man and woman are equal. Okay? Get, get over this equality stuff. We're equal in the eyes of God. But men, you've been given a different responsibility than the ladies. And ladies, you've been given a different responsibility than the men. So we need men to be men and ladies to be ladies and men not to be trying to be ladies and ladies trying to be men. God has given you. Those instructions are revealed in the Bible. I'm not making this up. The foundation is God. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's on shaky ground. Now, he even talks about the security system. You got a security system in your home? Did you notice in verse 2? Unless the Lord guards the city, guards the homes, the watchman stays awake in vain. I don't need to tell you that the family, the home is under attack today. It's been since the beginning in the garden. Satan's been attacking it a long time. But notice, I want to read to you Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. It says, My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. The family's under attack. Let me just give you a few examples. First of all, it's under the attack from Satan. Satan helped destroy the first family. Now, he tempted Eve and Adam and Eve. He helped to, he helped to destroy it. And if... if Satan can destroy the relationship between a husband and wife. He scores all kinds of wake behind that. I mean, it's, it's incredible. In fact, did you know that according to a recent survey, 85% of children that exhibit behavioral disorders, not 85% of children, 85% of children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from a home where there's no dad. And sometimes, even when the father is present, if the parents are not married, it's still detrimental to the children. In an annual report, David Papineau from Rutgers University, a sociology professor, he speaks of the increase of cohabitation, couples living together, not married. He said, I don't think it's good news, especially for children. As society shifts from marriage to cohabitation, which is what's happening, you have an increase in family instability. The United States has the weakest families in the Western world because we have the highest divorce rate and the highest rate of solo parenting. God in his wisdom knows and knew there needs to be a dad and a mom in the home. I know it takes two to make that work. And by the way, folks, I'm not here standing in judgment of anybody. I'm just telling you how God's saying, look, you got to start with me and I'll help down the road. 
not only are there attacks from Satan, but there are attacks from society. <laughs> all, us around, all around us are the breakdown of the family. We're redefining the family. God is the architect. God said a man and a woman and have offspring, godly offspring. He desires godly offspring, Malachi tells us. But now we're redefining families to mean anything that man can dream up because when you take God out of the equation, it can be anything you want it to be. Husbands and wives are not staying together. Children are rebelling against their parents. We've tried education and legislation and every other approach, but nothing seems to work. And the reason is, God says it begins with regeneration of your heart and life. You're giving a new, given a new life. The Holy Spirit lives in you. But society says you don't need God. We've taken God out of everything. And aren't we doing well? This is going to make you mad, not, not you, some of you, and I don't want any mail. Do not waste a stamp. Do not waste any ink, and do not send me an email because I'm not going to read it. But we have a tax in the family from substance abuse. Family needs protection in today's world, and the devil and his demons would love nothing more than to break up and destroy your family. And what are some of the things they're using? Drugs and alcohol. Teacher. Teacher gave her fifth grade class an assignment. She said, I want you to go home and I want you to get a story from your parents. And I want you to have them tell you the moral of the story. And then you're going to share with it in the class the next day. So... They came back the next day, and there were all the regular types of stuff, spilled milk and a penny saved and that kind of thing. And then the teacher called on Janie. Janie, do you have a story to share? Yes, ma'am. My daddy told me a story about my mommy. She was a Marine pilot in Desert Storm, and her plane got hit. She had to bail out over enemy territory, and all she had was a flask of whiskey, a pistol, and a survival knife. She drank the whiskey on the way down so the bottle wouldn't break. And then her parachute landed her right in the middle of 20 Iraqi troops. She shot 15 of them with a pistol till she ran out of bullets, killed four more with a knife till the blade broke, and then she killed the last one with her bare hands. The teacher's going, good heavens. <laughs> Did your dad say there was a moral to this story? Yes, ma'am. Stay away from mommy when she's been drinking. Now, listen, that is a joke, okay? But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, isn't it sad how many children are afraid because their parents have been drinking? It kills marriages. It kills lives. It kills families. I, uh, I really get aggravated at all the wonderful-looking commercials that make everybody look so happy when they're drinking. I would like to make commercials that showed the rest of the story, to show the alcoholics, to show the abuse, to show the marriages that have been broken, to show the families that have split up all because everybody looked like they were having a wonderful time 
drinking alcohol. If you want to know the truth, I hate that stuff. I do. If I could wish anything away from this nation, it'd be that right there. Now, if you drink, I, I already know, I already know, you don't have to tell me, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to drink. But the Bible always speaks negatively about it. And you can't prove me wrong there. But I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to, to make you feel bad. I'm just here to tell you, if you have it in your home, you're harboring a killer. And drinking parents produce drinking kids. And if you can stay away from the booze, then you've more than tripled your child's chances of staying away from that poison. You, you wouldn't go out here on the, on the street and buy fentanyl or drugs laced with it for your children, would you? Make no mistake about it, alcohol's a drug and it's destroying families. And I can't tell you, on my, I'm on the end, I'm on the, on the end that you don't want to see. It's also a tax from selfishness. You want to kill a marriage? Develop a me first attitude. You want to kill a family? Develop a me first attitude. Because we live in a culture that's all consumed with what's mine. And Jesus, when he comes into your life and changes your heart, he takes away the me and the mine and the I, and he puts in there the we and the you and the us because you begin to develop an attitude about other people and you quit being a childlike, selfish person. And we're living in a culture that's all they think about. The first time something gets hard, ooh, I don't like this. I'm going to do something else. Oh, this is uncomfortable. This is inconvenient. This, this, this. I don't like this. Am I right? Yeah, you know I am. That's why I so quiet. But <laughs> selfishness will kill it. We're, we're under attack. And that God, we need your protection. Help me to be wise enough to see the difference. Now, let's talk about the furnishings. I call them the supplies. God is our source. The scripture does not promote laziness in verse 2. It's vain for you. I, I want to read this sometime on the morning. It's vain for you to get up, rise early, to sit up late and eat the bread of sorrows. I think I'll just stay home today. He's not talking about being lazy. He's talking about a workaholic here. A workaholic. Some of you are workaholics. Only you can change it. Two, sci two Christian psychiatrists give us a picture of the workaholic's true nature. Here's what they say. The selfishness of the perfectionist, a workaholic, is much more subtle. While he is out in society saving humanity at a work pace of 80 to 100 hours a week, he's selfishly ignoring his wife and children. He's burying his emotions and working like a computerized robot. He helps mankind partially out of love and compassion, but mostly as an unconscious compensation for his insecurity and as a means of fulfilling both his strong need for society's approval and his driving urge to be perfect. He is self-critical and deep within himself feels inferior. He feels like a nobody and spends the bulk of his life working at a frantic pace to prove to himself that he is really not, as he suspects deep within, a nobody. 
In his own eyes and in the eyes of society, he's the epitome of human dedication. He becomes angry when his wife and children place demands on him. He can't understand how they could have the nerve to call such an unselfish, dedicated servant a selfish husband and father. In reality, his wife and children are correct, and they are suffering severely because of his subtle selfishness. Under the guise of, I've got to provide for my family, people never home. I understand working. I understand needing to make a living. I understand providing needs. But too often today, parents are trying to make a living. They forget about their family. And there are two types of fathers described here in verse 2. One is the father who works all the time, can't sleep at night because he's not content. The other one sleeps at night because he's content with what he has. He's provided for his family the necessities. And parents, we've got to learn the difference between necessities and luxuries. Because what we think we have to have, most of the time we don't have to have it. Children need a roof over their head, food on the table, and clothes on their back. But they need your attention, your affection, your guidance. They need your good example. They need to be disciplined in love. They need to know that they are important to you and that you love them and that you enjoy spending time with them. But how many times today you see families together, they're sitting at the table, and everybody's looking at that yeah, I was thinking of some adjectives I could actually say in church. <laughs> Phone. I see moms pushing baby carriages, looking at their phone. I see them sitting at playgrounds. Children say, Mom, Mom, look at me. Dad, Dad, look at me. They're looking at their phone. There's some things that money can't buy. Money can't buy love. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners, the ones that missed the mark, we all are sinners. We are going to miss the mark at home from time to time. There'll be times that we do things that we don't mean. Sometimes we say things that we don't mean. But your family always needs to know that you love them regardless. You love your children not because of what they do, but because of who they are to you. You don't love them by their accomplishment. You love them for who they are. We need to spend time nurturing them. They have Today, children have a lot of things that money can buy, but they would trade all of it to be loved by you. Money can't buy acceptance. Ephesians 1.6 has to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. All of us want to be accepted. We want to feel like we've not been rejected or punished or pushed to the side. We, we feel like there's got to be a place where I know that when I go home, they're going to want me. If you can't go home, where can you go? You want to be accepted. Isn't it amazing as parents how we change from our first child to the however many you have? Now, we have three at my, well, they're not at my house anymore, praise God. They're grown and gone. <laughs> no, I, I really miss them. And we had a couple of our granddaughters this week, and it was kind of nice to have some more noise in the house. But 
isn't it amazing? One lady said that she had five siblings. Or there were five of them. There were three girls and two boys. Well, actually, there were three, yeah, three girls and two boys. There were six of them. She said, I have five siblings. She said, one night I asked my mom how she had changed from the first child to the last, and she told me that she had mellowed a lot over the years. She said, when your oldest sister, the firstborn, coughed or sneezed, I called an ambulance. And when your youngest brother, the baby, swallowed a dime, I told him it was coming out of his allowance. <laughs> and those of you who are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But one thing's for sure, you always let them know you've accepted them. I've told you before, you know, the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. And Jesus was the firstborn, obviously, because he was born of a virgin. And then Mary and Joseph had some children. But can you imagine Mary? How many times did she say, why can't you be like Jesus? <laughs> He's perfect. No, she accepted all of them. And, and, you know, we need to let them know. You're accepted in this home. Money can't buy support or encouragement. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You need the love and the support. Someplace you can go with your problems. You can feel freedom to say, I'm hurting. I need to talk to you. That's in the home. Money can't buy forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, and be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Have you thought about all that God has forgiven you for? God gives us all these things, and if you stay together long enough, you're going to have to learn to forgive one another. God gives us these. He gives us love and acceptance and support and encouragement and forgiveness. And that's what we need to have in the home. That's the furnishings that come in the home. But quickly, he goes on to talk about the stewardship or the successors or the new additions. <laughs> Children are a stewardship. God said, I'm going to give you a child because I believe you can handle it. You're responsible for them. He gives us children to enjoy and to, and to bring happiness and laughter. I remember holding Rachel, our oldest, feeling uh, emotions I'd never felt before. You couldn't describe this to me until I held our own child. The joy and the, and the happiness. Now, as they got older, some days... They always brought joy and happiness. Some days they were a challenge. But he says we're too, they're, they're a gift. They're a heritage. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. They're, they're a heritage, not a hindrance. They're a blessing, not a burden. There's no such thing as an unwanted child, just an unfit parent. And you see, the feminist movement says children, they're going to cramp your style. You can't achieve what you're supposed to be if you have children. It's baloney. And men, well, they're too expensive. I have too many children. I can't drive the car I want to drive or a house I want to build or whatever. But I'm going to tell you something. 
Children don't make a rich man poor. They make a poor man rich. Verse 5 and 4, 4 and 5 describe, when should I start teaching these values? When they're young and impressionable. Did you notice he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. You know, I, I bow hunt from time to time. And, and I've, I've learned one thing, that the only time you can control that arrow is when it's in your hand. You can tweak it. You can make, mess with the fletching. You can change the tip on it. But when you release that arrow, you have no more control over it. So the time to teach them is when they're with you now and they're in your home. One more verse. Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Listen to that. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The four areas in which children need to develop quickly. First of all, mentally and wisdom. God says, teach them. Deuteronomy 4, 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, it's a lifelong commitment to teach your children. And now we're teaching our grandchildren. I got amused at a cartoon with a little girl. Gave her granddaddy a lemon drink, a lemonade drink. She came back in and said, Mom, sometimes Grandpa doesn't make any sense. He said the lemonade really hit the cake. Her mom said, well, honey, sometimes you have to take what your grandfather says with a grain of salt. <laughs> Later in the comic strip, you see the little girl. She's thinking to herself, if I grow up normal, it'll just be dumb luck. We teach them about everything. Teach them about the Lord. Physically, they grow up. Stature. In order for our children to grow in stature, they need to know that their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. They need to learn that, you know what, the Lord lives in their heart when they're old enough to understand that, obviously, but that their bodies belong to God. How many times do we hear people say, you're not going to have control over my body? No, God does. Spiritually, with God, favor with God. For our children to grow spiritually, they need to learn to live in a way that's pleasing to God. Colossians 1.10, that you might walk worthy of the, of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Parents, they're not going to grow any more spiritually than you are. Don't send your children. Bring your children to worship. Bring your children to a life group. Pray with your children. Read God's Word with your children. If you have children and you don't have a family devotional book, you see me after church, I'll give you one. Come to the hospitality room, I'll give you one. 
You have children, you say, well, I want to have a family devotion, but I don't know how, I don't know what to do. You come to the hospitality room after we're dismissed, I'll give you one. First two services didn't get that offer. In favor with God and man, socially, our children need to grow up and learn to respect other people. It begins with the family. It begins with the home. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, Ephesians 6, 2. If our children don't honor and respect their parents, they're not going to honor and respect anyone else. I'm so distraught over the lack of manners today. You open the door for people, and they don't even acknowledge you're standing there. We've got to teach them. So I guess I close by asking you, who's building your home? If God is not helping you build it, then today's the day. Now let me, let me get something clear here. I, all of us would like to go back and have a do-over. <laughs> yeah, I've got a book of those. But I can't. So what can I do? I can start today. You know what? I can drive a stake in the ground and I can say, Lord, I want to be a better G-dad, granddad, to be a better husband. I want my children to still know how much I love them. You can drive a stake down today. And if you don't know Jesus, today's the day. There was a, a large man, probably between three and 400 pounds, that stepped up on one of those scales, those public scales that you put money in. He didn't see the outer order sign on it. He put his money in there. It went up to 75 pounds and stopped. A little boy walked by and saw it. That's big man on that scale and 75 pounds. And he said, Mom, look, that man's hollow. How many of us look good on the outside, but we're hollow on the inside? And unless the Lord is on the throne of your life, you're working and building in vain. So God's invitation is for you to say, trust, to say, God, I trust you. If you've never received Christ, today's your day. You ask God to forgive you. You believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he went to the cross and God put on him all of our sin. And he rose again conquering death. And you ask Christ to come into your life. You commit your life to him. I trust you, Lord Jesus, to save me. Many of you have done that. If you've not done that, today's your day. And maybe... You've been a Christian for so long that it's time to say, Lord, you know what? I've kind of grown lax here. I need, to, I need to up my game as a husband. Man, when's the last time you opened the door for your wife? In the car. Oh, I can tell by the smiles. There's a lot of guilt in here. I still open the door for my wife. When she gets in the car, I feel like a dinosaur because I never see anybody else doing it. But you better do it after church today. (laughs) 
What I'm talking about is, God, I need to up my game as a husband and as a wife. I need to up my game as a parent. Whatever it is, I need to... I, I, I just need your help to do what you want me to do. Let's pray. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.